Today on the Benefits Breakdown, the team is joined by Dr. Robert Green, physician, scientist, professor of Harvard Medical School, and in this genetics in the workplace discussion, Dr. Green really opens up the ideas of how data can help drive better decisions and what you can do as employers to help protect your organization. So welcome to the Benefits Breakdown. Let's go. Hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the Benefits Breakdown. Adam Compton here with Mr. Jared Bocut. Jared, how are you today, sir? How are you doing, Adam? I'm kind of geeking out a little bit, Jared. You know, I am little- too. I'm actually so excited. I, I always joke around about how I love having smart people around because it makes a simpleton like myself look better. <laughs> but today, I think, may take the cake for that smartness being on the Benefits Breakdown. And I'm super excited for our guest. A little trade secret when we can geek out before and talk. I don't think we were talking for 20 minutes and we probably would have kept going if we didn't hit, have to record. Turn the fun to the audience. I'm going to introduce Dr. Robert Green. Dr. Robert Green is a physician, scientist, professor at Harvard Medical. Robert, welcome to the Benefits Breakdown. We're excited to have you. Thanks, guys. Happy to be here. And, uh, you know, I love talking about genetics and genomics. And I think that uh, this is one of the prime places people need to hear about it. So happy to be here. Robert, do you mind giving us just a little bit of introduction to yourself, what you do, what your background is, and, and why you're joining us today on the Benefits Breakdown? Sure thing. So I'm an MD. I do see patients uh, with extra training in genetics and genomics. Uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about definitions as we go through, but genomics just means sort of genetics at scale, lots and lots of genes, lots and lots of people. I'm uh, also an academic physician, meaning that in addition to seeing patients, I do research. And the focus of my research, instead of being test tubes or bacteria or viruses, the focus of my research is actually implementation science. It's how you take something like the world of genetics and you bring it into the practice of medicine and into society. Now, in my world, that's not so sexy um, because the guys who do, you know, the microscopic research get all the glory. So I'm really thrilled whenever somebody wants me to talk about this implementation science that I do. And, uh, and so really happy to be here talking about it today. Well, it seems like that could be a whirlwind of many directions that we can go. Ultimately, we know our our listeners and our friends are, are tied to organizations, people that manage health plans uh, are, are starting to hear more about this. I mean, it's in the news and, and it, I don't think it's even touched the surface of what it's going to likely get to. So maybe you can just touch on the history of that genetics and genomics, because I think they're, they're buzzy words if you don't know them. If you understand them, maybe we can start to apply them. So maybe we can help define those a, a bit further and try to think about how that relates to employers and what we can start thinking about, uh, both at a point of now and then also what we've seen historically. Like This isn't just, this didn't show up yesterday, right? This has been around for a little bit, and you've been doing some research for a while. Yeah, that's right. So so the science of genetics has been around for a long time and has gotten, um, and it's interesting because historically the narrative uh, really focused on the deterministic inheritance of a disease like Huntington's disease. So, you know, your a parent has it, a child gets it, it's untreatable, it's horrible. Uh, that, in fact, was one of the first that you could develop a test for. So the whole field developed uh, around this scary idea that your, your DNA is your destiny. And it's evolved so much since then uh, to encompass thousands and thousands of different diseases, including uh, probabilities for common disease, 
genetics of what, what makes for a good drug for you. Uh, it's part of the whole precision medicine buzz uh, universe, buzzy universe of precision medicine. Um, so as we talk today, a couple of themes, I think. Um, genetics is far more than rare disease. Uh, genetics is far is not a crystal ball. It, it is something that can give you insight on both diagnosis and treatment, but it's often probabilistic. So it sort of fits into your listeners' uh, population health strategies. Uh, the cost of genetics, which was somewhat prohibitive in the past, has come way down, so it's becoming affordable. And um, genetics is more accessible to your primary care physician. To um, uh, than it than it used to be when it was when it was deemed so esoteric. So these are some of the reasons why I think it's long overdue to be part of everyone's health journey, from the youngest age to old age. And um, my mission is to develop the evidence base that supports the, my belief that we should be accelerating the integration of genomics into my world, your world, your employees' world, um, your, the families of your employees. Uh, all of this is, is where I believe we are going and where we should go faster. Thank you. That, I mean, that helped me understand a little bit more about it and hopefully helps our audience see how it's evolved, but also how it can be impactful to them and to their, to their employees that they're working with and trying to help create a healthier population. Obviously, our HR listeners, our finance listeners, um, people that work in the employee benefit space have a dual motive. The goal is how can we help create a healthier population and how can we help manage cost? And hopefully they're starting to see how those can both be impacted by what we're talking about today. I would love to hear a little bit more about some of the areas specifically where you think genomics are having the most impact? What are some of the conditions where genomics are having and genetic testing are having the biggest impact where our employers should be focusing on if they're starting to dip or dabble their toe into this and, and really where, maybe where we see it going beyond that? Mm -hmm. So one of the ways to think about this, Jared, is um, let's take uh, people who have cancer and put them in a box uh, and then let's take everybody else who um, is not yet Ill, Ill with anything, cancer or anything else. So dealing first with the people who have cancer, uh, we know that applying genetics to the selection of their tumor treatments, the selection of anti-cancer drugs, can literally save their lives and extend their lives. And so this is a very easy example. Uh, if someone, if your employee gets cancer, uh, is there a service or a product that will help them navigate the complex world of all the ways in which your tumor should be genetically tested and all the ways in which you should be treated uh, on the basis of that genetic testing? And, and let me just sort of declare that my primary work here is as a... Um, professor at Harvard Medical School. Uh, I am also assisting uh, a company called Genomic Life, which creates products like this for the workplace. So I want to be transparent about that. But I think they do a superb job of helping a patient and their family navigate what is suddenly an excruciating and complex world of complications that even their doctor may not understand. And that's, that's the interesting thing here. The science has progressed past the point 
where many typical doctors are comfortable negotiating it. So they just don't. They don't mean to they don't mean to harm you. They don't mean to be outdated. They don't mean to, you know, be obsolete. But the science is just moving so fast that we need some of these additional solutions to help them help you in in the cancer space. So that's one category. Let me pause there to talk a little bit about that if you want, and then I'll jump to some of the other categories. I just have a, I want to kind of define that a bit further because this is what somebody said to me, which I think is true, but maybe your validation would help, that in the typical sort of oncology, my local physician, if diagnosed, has a general rule of how to treat, but really there's, and I forget the number, but somebody said 100 different types of cancers that might be specialized within that. So Yes, your local primary, local oncologist can define that, but when you can drive that to a particular outcome with that specialized group, which then might be doing the genetic testing differently, you have just a different outcome. Is that fair to say, or is that really out? That is very, that is exactly right. That is exactly right. So, um, you know, you can think of navigation, care navigation as a kind of squishy uh, a soft skill, but uh, the way that genomic life is developing it is is as a true science to navigate people effectively, efficiently uh, to the right place for them to get the best care. Uh, and and so that's, um, I think you've put your finger on it perfectly. Do you feel, uh, Dr. Green, that this should be a gold standard of, I'm diagnosed with cancer, I get some type of genetic testing to help ensure that I'm getting the best treatment right away. Absolutely. Uh, You know, there are nuances here, depending on what type of cancer, how far along it is, things like that. But uh, big picture, yes, we absolutely know that this changes the outcomes. And this is a major part of the umbrella term precision medicine. When people, when, when some people are talking about precision medicine, they're talking about more precisely tuning the treatment to the disease qualities that you have. And it's not all about genomics. We talk about precision medicine with wearables and you know, smart diapers and fancy uh, detection systems in your contact lenses and, and all sorts of things kind of fall under the rubric of precision medicine. But a big part of it, a big part of it is the right treatment for cancer at the right time, depending on your cancer and the genetics of your cancer. So that's a huge area um, that, you know, I think we, we need to, that the science is fairly ripe. The treatments are out there. They are known. It's just, what is that, what is that saying about the future? The future's here. It's just poorly distributed. <laughs> um, the, the, the treatments and the science is here. It's just not well distributed. So it's a distribution and, and communication uh, and technology problem. So we need to move on to other diagnosis because I'll get on the soapbox. Adam knows this. Yeah, yeah. I, I get passionate about this because there's so many alarming stats out there of people that don't receive the best treatment for cancer care right away and how that impacts their life, but also impacts costs. But, so we can, we can go on and on about that. But Absolutely. We should dive back into the, we had two boxes, right? We had those that have cancer. And I think there's <laughs> so that, that. So there's those. And, and, and this is why the whole field's a little intimidating to talk about is because when we, when we talk about genetics, we're talking about lots of different boxes. But anyway, so let's put the box of people with cancer aside for a moment. Let's talk about everybody else, you and me, hopefully all, all of us who are at the moment cancer-free. What does genetics have to offer us? And it has a lot to offer 
that can uh, save our life, improve our life, improve our health. So breaking that down, for example, there are there's a whole series of genetics-related things around the detection of a genetic predisposition to a heritable disease. Now, some of those diseases are cancer, like people are familiar with the BRCA1 and 2, like Angelina Jolie had. Um, some people may have heard of familial hypercholesterolemia, where your, your lipids are sky high and you have heart attacks in your 40s. Uh, there are, but there are actually thousands of these where a single gene change puts you at a dramatically increased risk of a particular disease. And we can now test the general population. Uh, and we're, gonna we're not going to find everybody with, who's going to develop cancer, but we're going to find some people who are developing cancer early, who are developing heart attacks early, who have sudden cardiac death vulnerability, like those athletes who drop dead on the basketball court. I mean, these are things we can find some of these people and we can in enhance their surveillance and we can save their lives. And, you know, before we got on, Jared, we were talking about some of the sort of almost testimonials that people we've, we've tested in a biobank and we found these, um, these variants in their DNA. And then they've enhanced their surveillance and found a cancer before it spread. And they come back and say things like, oh, my God, this genetic testing saved my life. Thank you so much. And those stories really resonate in terms of us as a healthcare center, you as employee, employers caring about, caring about uh, finding these people. We've really switched from being afraid of this genetic information to a, a societal zeitgeist that is interested for the most part. Of course, some people are still afraid and they shouldn't do it if they don't want to. This is all voluntary. But, but the zeitgeist has changed. People want to know. They want to know if there's something they can do something about. So that's, that's one category is the sort of thousands of rare diseases, which together in the aggregate are not rare at all. Let me pause there and, and, and talk about those for a second. So Adam and Vanessa, who's not with us today, but Adam and Vanessa will give me a bad time because sometimes I'll come up with a side hustle uh -oh, that I may ready, have. Robert, a, here it comes. No, no, side no, hustle no side hustle. Okay. This is going to actually, this is actually going to be personal. <laughs> And I've shared PHI on the podcast before as well. So any of our listeners that listen regularly may know this. Any of our first-time listeners, I have Crohn's disease. Help walk through someone that has an autoimmune disease like Crohn's or something similar or, or any chronic condition maybe, but we'll use Crohn's because it's specific to me. Um, maybe help us walk through how that may impact me personally or even my children and, and, and that situation. Right. So there are, um, so we've been talking in this category about what are called single gene. First of all, I'm, I'm sorry that you have that, and, and, and I know that's, that's a struggle. But we've been talking about single gene disorders. Uh, in particular, Crohn's disease is not one of the diseases you can, you can uh, impact, uh, you can learn about with a single gene. But there is a genetic component to it, and there are risk markers that could identify uh, individuals who are at higher and lower risk of uh, Crohn's disease. So, for example, you may have heard of HLA markers, um, and there's an HLA um, uh, genetic risk marker called DR3 DQT and DR4 DQ8. These are these are sections within the genome that 99% uh, of affected individuals carry these markers. 
uh, whereas only 30% of the general population carry them. So it wouldn't be like a diagnostic test, but you could really, you could really look at a population and say, this, this set of the population is far more likely to have or develop Crohn's disease. Now, I don't know if it was true for you, but in my experience, it's, uh, there are a lot of people who had symptoms for a long time they didn't realize, right? Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I will joke around and tell a story that I had the symptoms for years and delayed getting care, delayed getting care, and thought it was just something I ate or something. I ate too much meat and it didn't digest right or something, but yeah. Right. So, and unfortunately, I, unfortunately, I delayed care way too long and that's a different story for a different day. Well, exactly. Yes. And, and, you know, this, this kind of story is so common in medicine. Um, you get, you get well-meaning reassurance from a doctor who didn't realize, um, you, you ignore it yourself. And whether we're talking about single gene diseases, which, uh, put you at risk for, for these cancers and heart problems, or we're talking about now genetic markers like these HLA markers that put you at increased risk. Uh, these are things that we can help you empower your own self and empower your doctor. And, um, and so that leads us into the next category of, of genetics. So we talked about single gene diseases. Now we're talking about polygenic risk scores. These are a series of markers that increase your risk or decrease your risk. So if you are in the highest risk profile for type 2 diabetes, even if you're skinny as hell, you've got to change your diet more than somebody who's in the lowest risk category. If you're in the highest risk category uh, for coronary artery disease, you should probably be even more aggressive about managing your lipids than you are today. And so we can help people in these high risk categories with what are called polygenic risk scores, thousands of markers that add up on a big, big bell curve and find the people who are at the super uh, high end of the risk profile. So that's sort of, so now we've talked about single gene diseases and polygenic. And let me pause in that and then I'll go on to pharmacogenomics and, um, and, and, and a few other, uh, and a reproductive category. And I think cancer is just always big in our world. Our health spends are uh, seeing a lot of that exposure. What other big pieces or what other diagnoses are you commonly seeing that are impacted with genetic testing? I'm sure it's pretty broad, but are there a few that are hyper-focused on based off where they've come? Uh, there are, yeah. I mean, I would say the two big categories are cancer-related and heart disease-related. Um, and they have both common you know, multifactorial um, influences and genetic influences, with uh, about 10% of cancers being attributable to these single gene changes I discussed in the first category. And then the rest of them having multiple markers that you can still identify people at super high risk. Then there's just, um, Adam, there's just hundreds of other conditions, uh, dozens of immune-related conditions like, uh, like Jared just talked about. There's hearing loss, there's skin diseases, there's renal diseases, there's pulmonary problems. Uh, there's um, It covers the market. It's not just this one thing. Bunch of neurologic, yeah. that's right, bunch of neurologic problems. And here's a, a fun fact, maybe the, the funnest fact of all. Um, the number of treatable genetic conditions has skyrocketed in the recent decade and is skyrocketing further. Let's say just even among the thousands of single gene diseases, there are probably at least a thousand of them that now have treatments. 
And those, and there's over a trillion dollars of investment in the biopharma developing new treatments. So it's, it's a changing world really fast. And now treatments brings us to the next category, which is pharmacogenomics. Did you know that there's, there's a score of uh, markers in your blood that will tell you uh, certain kinds of medications if it's the right medication family and if it's the right dose for, for you, for even for common things like the statins you take or the blood thinners you take uh, or the antidepressants that you take? This, is, this comes as news to a lot of people, but it's a very powerful intervention, uh, especially at the population level. So I, I love this, and I want to tie the conversation so far back to our employers that are listening So and use myself for an example. My delay in care, what did that impact me? What did it impact my employer? I ended up having, because of the delay of care, you know this, Dr. Green, your intestine should look like this. For those that aren't, can't see, size of about a garden hose. Mine completely closed off to where a pencil lead wouldn't fit through it. And I ended up having 42 inches of my small intestine. I apologize for the gruesomeness <laughs> behind that. And $120,000 in medical spend that my employer incurred because of that delay of care. So if I were to get a, a genetic test that showed I was predisposed to that marker that you, that you indicated earlier, what kind of impact could that have on me personally, but also my employer? And, and I, I think our, our, audience needs to think about that and and what really that could mean, not only for this simple disease state of, of Crohn's, but all the other disease right. states that, that Dr. Green just illustrated. Yeah. And by implementing something like this, what could that do and how how could it impact the employer specifically? Right. I think something I'd love to talk about for a few minutes. Sure. Well, this is a great example um, because if if you had been identified as someone who had the markers that predisposed you to this particular condition, then in the very first weeks and months that you had symptoms or that the symptoms worsened to a certain point, you and your doctor could have said, oh, remember that test we had that put me at high risk for this? Looks like it's happening. And you'd get right in there and get the treatment going before the damage becomes so severe, before the surgery might be necessary, um, I mean, this is a crystal clear example of why early detection could have saved uh, enormous expense. Now, the, the Humira that we talked about, the particular drug, that is uh, not one that has, there's not one that has these pharmacogenomic guidelines at the present time. But um, other drugs in different categories related to this do. And particularly, we talked a little earlier about uh, behavioral problems at the workplace, depression, anxiety, manic depressive disease, uh, all of these uh, sadly common psychiatric issues. They have very powerful pharmacogenomic recommendations, and the physicians who are treating them can shorten the time to efficacy, can reduce the side effects by having some degree of pharmacogenomic warning. So we're touching on a couple of angles here. One is uh, predicting a condition early. Uh, another is treating it and, and treating it appropriately. And then with common, more common conditions, using the right drug at the right time and the right dosage uh, as quickly as possible. This is so fascinating to me. And I probably could go on for hours and Dr. Green bore you more than you would want to be bored. But no. this is amazing to me where where the advancements are coming and it's so exciting to me to see what the impact can have 
in the future. Right. Um, sorry, you look like you're going to say something. Yeah. The, the one other category I want to make sure we don't, we don't miss is the reproductive world. Now, many of the employers have put fertility benefits in place. And as I understand in my naive sense, this has been a huge hit because the, the, kid, the, the kids are like the kids. The kids of reproductive age are, um, are really appreciating uh, those benefits. And again, it's, it's a little bit specialized. It's a little bit complex. You put those benefits into place and everybody wins. Very similar type of thing. For example, a simple, inexpensive panel. We're not talking thousands of dollars. We're talking a low-end few hundred dollars. Um, can warn prospective parents if they're at risk for having a devastated child. And if they both happen to carry a recessive mutation in the same gene, there's a high probability that the, they'll have a devastated child. And they can know that in advance. And they can take steps using fertility benefits, um, IVFs, embryo selection, to make sure that it's an entirely normal child. Think about the savings there. I mean, not just financial savings, savings in human suffering. Uh, to have uh, a successful, healthy child and have a child that doesn't go into the neonatal intensive care unit or incur millions of dollars of diagnostics and treatment in the first year or two of life, all of which would, in family plans, uh, fall on the employer. So this, this is a win-win-win uh, as far as helping to keep the same groups of young professionals healthy and happy. And if fertility is the, the hit that it is to our HR professionals, this is not just that population. This is everybody. Genomics, genetics. We're testing our employees, their their families. It really is That's right. absolutely amazing. That's right. So now we've we've defined these you know different categories. We've defined people with cancer, how they can benefit. We've defined young adults who are getting ready to have children, and they could benefit. We've defined anyone who's at risk for one of these single gene disorders and could benefit by enhancing surveillance, catching cancer early and so forth. And we've defined anyone who takes a, a drug that happens to have genetic markers and could have a better fit of the drug earlier and sooner and more effectively. So we, we, we go from narrow cases like uh, prospective parents or people with cancer to broad cases that, that pretty much include any adult. And we talked about this at the beginning of our conversation. Those individuals who are looking for what is the next great thing in the employee benefit space that can have an impact on my employees' lives and have an impact also keep my CFO happy. If you haven't started going down the road of looking at genomic testing, hopefully after listening to this, you're seeing the benefit from an employee benefit side and also from the financial impact. And really that this is, to me, something that we need to be talking about more as individuals who focus on the employee benefit space and also as employers who care so much about their employees, um, which I know most our audience yeah. does. So thank you, Dr. Green. This has been awesome. This has been amazing. And um, I'd be happy to return to talk about any aspect of this if you want to drill down further. But I really appreciate the chance to talk to your audience. And uh, I hope that they will um, think about genomics in their own life. And and some sometimes that's the best way to explore this is to uh, think about which of these categories might apply to you and your family as an executive, um, get some testing, explore what it means, how it works, and uh, 
I'd be happy to assist in anybody who wants to sort of try that out or have some guidance on trying that out from your audience. Dr. Green, thank you so much. A quick side hustle question for you. Do you ever give your students a spelling test? Because some of the words that you throw out today, <laughs> I have more words or letters than I could ever imagine. So one, it's it's just a thought if you have it. Don't play don't play words with friends with Dr. Green is what Adam's saying. Right, right. Well, if I'm, any good at, if I'm any good at communicating as well as you guys, I'll put this in language that I'll do better at putting this in language that everybody can understand. Because oh, no. everybody can. Everybody can benefit, really. It's, that's, that should be part of our mission here, is to demystify and democratize uh, these concepts so that people are not afraid of it yeah. and that they, they embrace the life-saving promise of genomics. Dr. Green, my, and my bad attempt at a joke was actually the opposite with you've, I think, outlined, I've never seen Jared smile so much because I think the, the knowledge that's hit him today is really going to impact us. It's going to impact our employers and we're just thankful that you could spend time with us. So thank you, sir. My pleasure. To our team and to our friends, thanks again for joining us here on the Benefits Breakdown. We'll see you next time and have a great day. 